The Alabama Crops Report Podcast, your trusted information source for Alabama agriculture. Hey everyone, welcome into the Alabama Crops Report Podcast. I'm your host, Caitlin Kessheimer. And I'm Dr. Adam Rabinowitz, Assistant Professor and Extension Economist. We're excited to be releasing regularly scheduled podcast episodes with up-to-date information about Alabama crops throughout the year. So you'll be hearing from Extension personnel all over the state uh, with the latest in research and management recommendations. So how are you doing today, Caitlin? I'm good. How are you, Adam? I'm doing well, thank you. Happy to be here as part of this podcast. Yeah, and I'm happy because we have a fellow bug person as our guest, Dr. Scott Graham, who is an Extension entomologist an assistant professor with responsibilities in cotton, soybeans, and peanuts. Welcome, Scott. Hey, how's it going? Excited to be on this side of the microphone this time. Absolutely. Yeah, you're in the hot seat this week. Yeah. You know, any day we get to talk about bugs and cotton is a good day, so I'm excited. It is a good day. So today we'll be talking about early season insect management in cotton. What are some of the early season pests that growers should be thinking about as we are approaching planting season? Well, you know, I, I think the obvious one are thrips. You know, that's really the most consistent insect pest we have in cotton, maybe even in, in row crops in general. Um, when you look at across the entire cotton belt, 100% of our acres are going to be infested with thrips. And, and we'll talk about them a little bit more later, I'm sure. But, you know, a, a lot of things that we're seeing are, are changes in the system, and you know, part of that is in the last decade, 15 years or so, we've kind of shifted to uh, more conventional and no-till situations, and with that, we're starting to see some some early season issues with some pests that we we haven't historically dealt with. You know, you think about things like grasshoppers, true army worms, uh, cutworms, spider mites, slugs, and snails. All of these different critters can be in a in a, a cotton field at planting and, and can really do some damage if, if we're not prepared to, to do something to mitigate that situation. I know we talk a lot about no-till and conservation till and early season pests, and, and I've been talking a lot about it in corn the last couple of weeks too. And so how does that lead to some of those pests you mentioned, grasshoppers, armyworms, slugs, and snails? Well, you know, I mean... And I think we talked about a little bit on, on your podcast as well. We've got this situation where we've got a green, attractive crop or, or weeds or whatever it is in the field prior to planting. And, and these insects come in and, and they move in. They start feeding on those things. They lay eggs. Uh, you got immature uh, insects in the field that, that aren't as mobile so they can't fly away when the crop is, is planted or when there's nothing in the field. So they're just kind of hanging out, waiting on something uh, to, to come up. So it's it's really important that we try to do things, you know, burn down three, four weeks prior to planting, uh, mix in a, a pyrethroid or something at planting to try to kill some of these you know, caterpillar pests like army worms or uh, uh, things like that to, to try to mitigate that issue. And, you know, you can go back and forth on is it IPM or not, and, you know, really a, lot, a big part of IPM, as Adam, I'm sure, would, would love to chime in and remind us, is economics. And, you know, it's we know we're probably going to have an issue, especially if we're walking around giving the old foot check. You know, I know y'all talk about that a lot of times with, with army worms in, uh, in pastures and things. If you're, you're walking through and you got worms crawling on your shoe, probably need to go ahead and throw something in the tank. 
Yeah, Scott and Caitlin, I, I listened to you talk about all the bugs from an economist perspective, and, and you know, really, it really hits home for me in terms of production risk and some of the, the risk management strategies that we, we think about related to insects and you know, just the issues that producers are facing and need to consider. Um, so along that line, you know, what are some of the risks involved with grasshoppers, and, and what can producers actually do about that? You know, Adam, grasshoppers truly are a risk pass. In some years, they'll be in fields and they'll they won't touch a cotton plant. In other years, they'll turn on the cotton and just you know eat ten or fifteen acres. We never really know uh, what they're going to do that year until they've done it. Uh, so it's you know making treatment decisions a lot of times is just based on what level of risk is the producer willing to take on in, in that year, and you know. If, if we're in fields where we've had issues before with grasshoppers in the past, if it's kind of a sandier field, you know, coming off of a, a winter where it's been a little bit drier than normal, uh, particularly in, in reduced no-till fields, we tend to see more issues with grasshoppers. In that situation, you know, what we recommend is is uh, putting out Demlin, which is an insect growth regulator, uh, with your burn down application, your, your herbicide application, and, and what that can do is provide three to four weeks of residual control. Uh, really try to keep those uh, immature grasshoppers from developing into adults, and you know. One of the difficult things about it is they're laying eggs over long periods of time. There's a lot of eggs in these little pods that they lay down in the soil. So they're emerging over three or four months sometimes. So it's really important that we try to do something to control those immature grasshoppers while the cotton's still coming up in the crook stage because really what we're worried about is just trying to get our stand established. We're not too concerned about the foliation and things like that. We're just trying to keep them from clipping plants off and, and really hurting uh, stand. Scott, are you talking about immature grasshoppers or adults in this case? Well, I, I've been primarily talking about the immature uh, grasshoppers, Caitlin, but you know, one thing to think about it, if we do get into a situation where there's a lot of adult grasshoppers in the field, that, that kind of changes what we're doing. Uh, you know, Demlin, which I mentioned for immatures, is an insect growth regulator, so it's only going to uh, control the the immature grasshoppers. Now, you know, some people recommend uh, pyrethroids for adult grasshoppers. I don't have a lot of experience with it, but uh, Dr. Ron Smith, who's been around about as long as cotton has in, in Alabama, it seems like at times tells me that you know he's he's done a lot of trials with that in the past and when he sprayed adult grasshoppers with pyrethroids they'll jump 15 20 feet in the air and come back down and go right back to gnawing on the, the cotton so really if we've got a lot of adults in the field we recommend acephate you know a little bit higher rate maybe you know two-thirds of a pound something like that uh, to, to take care of those adult grasshoppers a lot harder to control than the immatures and the immatures we can kill them with pyrethroids, but we don't get that same residual control that we do out of the, the Demlin. Adam, I was really impressed with your ability to relate to us bug people using grasshoppers, so thank you for that. And as a bug person, I always tell people that I study things that are creepy and crawly, which would include, like Scott mentioned, slugs and snails. But for the taxonomists out there, we know that they are not officially insects, so we can't use insecticides to control them, correct? That's right. Shocker, right? In, in, insecticides don't kill something that's not an insect. Caitlin, I was always wondering about 
the slug the classification of slugs and snails from entomologists. Yeah, I like I like the term creepy crawlies because you know your slugs, your spiders, your scorpions, centipedes, all the great things in this world. So, but when it comes to snails and crops, not so great, right? That's right. Yeah, yeah. I, I just tend to, to throw them all as critters and get them out that way. That's that's my Mississippi coming out. I think. Uh, but, you know, unfortunately with these snails and slugs, there's not a lot we can do. There are some baits that are available. They're marginally effective, but they're pretty expensive. I think they're something like 20, 30 bucks an acre. And you're talking about putting out 20 pounds per acre. So really, they're hard to put out. Uh, they, they, they do show some efficacy, but, but for the price, they're really not that, uh, not that effective. You, know, you can try to do things, maybe a little light tillage. I know we really don't like tilling, and, and we've kind of gotten away from, from some of the equipment that we need to do that, but light tillage would be an option. Uh, with slugs in particular, you can blame Caitlin because we see issues behind our grass crops like corn and, and sorghum and, and Caitlin. You're, you're welcome for that. Yeah. Keeping us busy. You know, the, the snails are a problem that kind of started out in the southern part of the state, I think, and, and hung out there for a while. But you know, we saw fields in, in uh, Cherokee County or, or at least Sand Mountain that, that had to be replanted from snails in 2020. Unfortunately, we really don't have a lot of, of answers. One thing to think about with, with slugs is uh, if you are in a no-till situation, you know, maybe set your uh, row cleaners or trash whoppers or whatever you want to call them a little bit more aggressive. Try to push that residue back some, get it off of the furrow, and, and make sure you get the furrow closed as well. Uh, we, you know, we can create slug highways where they'll just run the drill, go through, and, and clip every single plant off. So really important that we, we try to do what we can to, to mitigate those issues. Scott, there's another... Another pest that I've been thinking about too, which is is thrips. Can you tell me a little bit about thrips and just the management that producers need to think about to address this pest? Yeah, absolutely. So like I said, thrips are, are really the, the dominant insect seedling pest of cotton across the entire cotton belt and, and Alabama is no different in that situation. And you know, growers have several different options. Really the go-to right now are neonicotinoid insecticide seed treatments. Uh, we recommend those be imidacloprid based. There's a lot of different product names and things for that. Gaucho, Aris, Evicta, Elite are just a couple of them. Starting to see a little bit of slippage with that, some resistance building up, and, and really I think it's pretty complicated on on whether or not we get good uh, control out of our, our seed treatments. But generally speaking, we kind of tend to recommend, you know, if we plant our cotton planted in the later uh, planting window tends to be able to get through without needing a, a foliar supplemental insecticide application. Scott, can you talk about that a little bit more, the relationship between planting date, potential thrips damage, and, and seed and or foliar treatments? Yeah, so, so you know, generally speaking, thrips injury is a function of how well your cotton crop is growing. So earlier in the planting window, temperatures are a little bit cooler, uh, particularly nighttime temperatures when the plant's really not growing. We may not have as many thrips infesting the cotton, but when the plant's not growing, it's taking on thrips damage. Uh, so when we get later in the window, 
we maybe have more thrips in the field, but our cotton's growing so much faster, we can kind of get through that susceptible window, which is generally speaking about the fourth or fifth true leaf stage. Typically, once we get beyond that point, we can kind of close the door on, on thrips for the year and start getting ready for plant bugs. But really, those nighttime temperatures are pretty important. The cooler it is at night, when the, co- the crop's just not growing, those thrips are really able to feed and do some damage. So it's basically an arms race between the cotton and the insects in this case. That's right. That's right. We're, the, the seed treatments can provide, you know, four or five maybe weeks of control, depending on a lot of different factors, but really what we're trying to do is just get through that fourth or fifth uh, true leaf stage as fast as we can. Now, another option you've got are some infer products. Uh, Imidacloprid is, is a good option. Acephate's a good option in the right environmental conditions. If it's kind of cold and wet and, and you're not growing similar to the seed treatments, you can lose some of that uh, acephate before the plant really uptakes it and is able to express it in the leaves to protect from uh, from the thrips. And then uh out of carb, AgLogic, the, the new Timic, if you will, uh, still a very, very good product. We see very consistent uh, results out of, out of AgLogic, uh, so that, that's another good option for growers. So, Scott, you mentioned something about a potential supplemental foliage spray. What are those options? Yeah, Adam, so, you know, kind of like, like I mentioned before, that cotton that's planted in the earlier part of the, the planting window is likely going to need some sort of a foliar application. You know, typically those are best when they're made around the first or second true leaf stage. We got several options. Acephate is typically our go-to recommendation at, you know, about a third of a pound or so tends to provide good control. Problem with acephate is you're running the risk of, of flaring secondary pests, you know, like spider mites, things like that. And it's not as rain fast as some, some of our other options. We like to see at least eight to 12 hours of uh, no rain on acephate uh, after we spray it. Bidrin's another option. It's a little less likely to flare mites and it's a little bit more rain fast than acephate. Uh, however, it is more likely to cause crop injury if you're tank mixing with the herbicide. And dimethylate, another option. Uh, again, not too bad on flaring secondary pests and pretty good rain fastness, but it is the most likely to cause some sort of crop injury if it's tank mixed with herbicides. So that's just some, some things to think about there. And then Intrepid Edge, uh, which is traditionally we think of that as a worm material, uh, but it's, it's got the same, uh, one of the same active ingredients that Radiant has, a good thrips material, really not likely at all to flare uh, secondary pests. So that, that's a good thing. Only thing about that is, you know, we may want to uh, think about putting in a surfactant uh, if if we go with Intrepid Edge. I'll just kind of close with this: pyrethroids are not effective. Uh, you know, still some folks trying to get away with spraying pyrethroids or or trying to spray imidacloprid. And you know, if your imidacloprid seed treatment didn't hold on, you probably don't want to spray imidacloprid foliar, even though it's cheap probably not going to get a lot out of that like you would want to. So again, acephate, I think, is our best option for foliar thrips control. But you know, make sure you're checking your, your herbicide labels if you are trying to tank mix, piggyback that application, and make sure that you've got approval uh, for the different herbicide technologies that you may or may not be using. Thanks, Scott. That was some fantastic information. Adam and I were super happy to have you on the podcast today. And I know with two bug people, Adam, you probably enjoyed yourself as well. Well, I learned a lot of great information today, and so I appreciate that. Thank you for being here, Scott. Thank you all for having me. Enjoy the conversation. 
The Alabama Crops Report podcast is a production of the Alabama Cooperative Extension System and is sponsored by Alabama Ag Credit.